Thank you, Kobe. And the rest of you people. I wish I had the lyrics in front of me, but I don't. But man, that was just good stuff. I just always want to repeat lyrics. Every now and then I have to go back and listen to a podcast. It's very seldom that I ever do, but I mentioned a certain missionary's name a couple of weeks ago whose name didn't need to be mentioned in a podcast that could be played somewhere around the world. And so I went back and listened, and I just realized that every time when I get up here to, to, to preach, it probably sounds like I'm just saying this about worship in the team, but it's really true. Every time I get up here, I'm just, I feel like, I mean, I'm, I just want to give acknowledgement that God is good, and, man, the worship was just sweet, right? So it's not just I'm not trying to stroke anybody's ego. I'm just trying to give credit to the Lord for just uh, allowing us to sing today some things that have just been on my heart, man, that God just really, really, um, today was just real, you know, as I was worshiping the Lord, which is almost always the case if I can stay focused in worship. So I hope it was true for you, too. So last week, we looked at uh, 12 responses of different cities and people within those cities to the gospel. 12 of them. So if you missed last week, you're probably going, Phew, man, I'm glad I wasn't here. If you preached on 12 responses, right? But man, it was just so good for me to go through that study. And I've heard from a number of you that this was, that, that was a good discussion in life group this week over uh, that topic. But it's just important that we recognize that at this stage of the church, when God is, is, has developed by his Holy Spirit within the lives of surrendered believers, most of which are brand new believers, um, this, these characteristics and traits of a pure church in its infancy, that those things are being reproduced when they go to other places to multiply the gospel or multiply community. As they're moving into other areas, they're doing the same stuff. And there's only one reason for that. It's not because they had a good plan and it seemed to work or because they're duplicating, you know, the, the somebody wrote down on a scroll, you know, on some pepper eye, you know, or whatever, uh, a, a list of things that they did in, in the church there and they were holding conferences to say, uh, here, the Jerusalem conference has happened, and now the rest of you need to know how to do church. So number one, follow the Holy Spirit. Number two, no, there was no number two. There was only one. It was the Holy Spirit. He's just having his way, having his way in the church. We have gotten so far away from that. We've gotten so far away from just following the Holy Spirit and letting that be enough. I love what we, you know, some of the songs this morning talked about that. Just, you know, that following Jesus is enough. Just walking with him is enough. Obeying the Holy Spirit is enough. It will produce the fruit that we're desperately thinking, trying to produce on our own in order to think to make ourselves feel better about where we are. It, the Holy Spirit will do that in you if you just learn to enjoy living life by the Holy Spirit. And what happens on the inside matters. The fact that it comes from the inside instead of from the outside matters. Uh, man, all of our devotions this morning and the Moravian readings were all about that. Just, you know, that God wants to come in and change our hearts and he wants us to there should be works in our lives, but those works come out of a, a deep love and understanding of the character of God. So at the gathering place, we have one motivation. Our motivation for ministry is one of our big six distinctives of the gathering place. Our motivation for the mission that God's called us to of leading people to know God 
is one thing. It's the grace and character of God. And so if you're not being motivated by that, then I encourage you to not try harder, but get to know God. <laughs> right? That's all we do at the gathering place. We're just trying to get, teach people to abide in Christ because the more that you walk with him in life, which is simply hearing his commands, obeying what he says, and seeing what he does, and he reveals himself through his, through his activity in our lives. That if you will do that, then you will know God in some deeper ways that ultimately will change your life. So right now I'm working with 29 people. I've had 29 of the best hours. Well, I didn't get all 29 this week. 29 of the best hours. <laughs> some of you didn't show. Others of you happened to be on Monday and we took the day off because of Labor Day. Uh, but however many hours I had, every hour was awesome. Not because everybody's doing great and the things that they are trying to do, but because we're we understand what we're going after is not having a quiet time. It's not reading the Bible every day. We're not going after that. We're just using that as a way to, to, to get a command from God to walk with him so we can know him. We're, not, we're, we're blessing people. We're, we're trying to pray, God, who do you want me to bless in my life? You know, these things that God's already told us to do, we all understand, we all know, those of us that have been here, and I've got a few new faces today, but those of you that have been here for any length of time know what bless stands for. But we are trying to bless people, but not for the sake of saying, I got, hey, I accomplished the goal this week. Check it off the list. You know, it's because we desperately want to know God. Because knowing God is what changes us. When you discover more of the character of God, you're going to love him more deeply. And your faith in God, because you've experienced him, is going to be stronger. All right, so we're after that. We're after that. That's it. So last week we looked at 12 responses to different responses, different cities and the people within those cities and how they responded to the gospel. Some of those were good. Some were really, really bad. Like I would consider like being stoned and left for dead really, really bad, right? Y'all with me? Everybody awake? All right, that's really, really bad. So some of them were really, really bad. But all these responses were, were, uh, were honest responses of people in cities to the gospel being shared. But we also looked at the response of those who were sharing the gospel, and we found that the, that the disciples, the apostles, uh, particularly in this case, Paul and Barnabas and John also added to them in one case, were, were not responding to their responses. Like it didn't matter whether they got this there's such, such a warm response that the people said, hey, would you stay until next week and do this again in the temple? Man, this is great. And they followed them around all week long, and they were just like, wow, this is awesome. It's great. And, they want, and then or another town where they were like, you guys must be gods. We worship you. You know, well, what a great response, right? But they didn't respond to that. They just said, Holy Spirit, what do we do with that? Holy Spirit told them what to do, and they responded to the Holy Spirit. Which most of us, what we do is we respond to responses. If it's good, then we, we accept that and we say, oh, God must be here. But Peter gets stoned and left for dead and the disciples gather around him and, they, and he gets up. And he doesn't start running away. Instead, what does he do? He goes to preach the gospel in the next town. And then he goes back to the towns where the lynch mob came from and said, and appointed elders and strengthened the hearts of the believers there. So 
they responded to the Holy Spirit, not to the responses of the people. And I hope we learned that we cannot assume anything when multiplying the church with the Holy Spirit. We can't assume anything that that response that seems positive was good because Paul and Barnabas had to correct a good response, a positive response, not a life-threatening response when they tried to make gods out of them. Uh, and, and, and so we can't respond. We can't assume anything when multiplying the church with the Holy Spirit because that leads to responding to response. All we're doing is we're just going after what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. So we need to learn how to do that and do it well. Now, last week, the final response we saw from Paul and Barnabas was the most obvious example of not assuming anything, right? If you, if you were stoned, left, stoned and left for dead, you would assume that God was not there anymore, that God was not working in those cities anymore, that we should not go back to those cities. Matter of fact, by Jesus' only command, there is a time, and there was a time in, the, in Paul and Barnabas' journey where they shook the dust off their feet from a town, but they only did it because the Holy Spirit told them to. And now the Holy Spirit's telling them to go back to the towns and villages that gathered together to stone them. And so today, in our lesson, we're going to, we're going to uh, dive into that just a little bit and then move on uh, to uh, uh, what would be for us normally, a, it has been for me, a response to a response of people in this community to the truth of the gospel. All right, so let's pick up in verse 14. So we, we read this last week, but I want to just make a few points out of it before we move on. Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. I know it's a little bit warm in here, uh, but it's because one of our air conditioners is not working. So we'll try and crank that up maybe by next week. If anybody's got some money, you'd like to donate. All right, verse 21 of chapter 14 is where we left off. When they had preached the gospel to that city and, made, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Now, all of those were the towns where the lynch mob came from that stoned them to death, or tried to stone them to death. Went back to those, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and say that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So let's just make a quick couple of points out of that. Number one, first of all, they strengthened the souls of those in the churches. They strengthened the souls of those in the churches. They didn't say that they, they, uh, that they made uh, idle promises about how good their future would be. It didn't say that they came and said, listen, just hang on, it's going to get better. It said they strengthened the souls of those believers. And again, where, where that obedience comes from is what's significant. It's that it, their souls, their hearts, all of the inside part is now devoted to God. Their spirits have been transformed and their desire is to walk with God. That's if the actions come out of that, that's what matters. And so they didn't go there to, to strengthen them by saying, it's going to get better. Hold on. They went to strengthen their souls. Remember in chapter 4, look at it. In verse 32, we talked about uh, how God was drawing hearts and souls together. He says, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of his things belonged to him or was his own, but they had everything in common. God drew them, these like-minded believers. The Holy Spirit was doing the same thing in these believers, and so they were drawn in. That's where the strength came from, and that was their purpose. They were all on task with God for the same thing. 
They didn't go, so th- th- these apostles, uh, Paul and Barnabas didn't go back to tell, uh, to promise them that everything was going to get better. They didn't go back to convince them to hold on to Jesus, uh, and, and, but they went there to strengthen their inner man. And so they did that work. Uh, I love that because the inner man is what matters. Second Chronicles 16.9 is one of my favorite verses where uh, the Lord is getting on. Um, help me out. Said it this morning. Had it. Having a moment. Huh? Asa. The Lord's getting on Asa about depending on trying to get some support in battle rather than just trusting in, the, in him. He said, what do you need some support from man for? You got me. I've given you victory in every battle so far. And then he makes this statement. He says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole world, our whole earth, to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless to, toward him. Our ways may not always be right, but if our hearts are for God, he's going to make up for that. How many times in Scripture does God choose the weak of the world in order to manifest his power? And so we just need to, God's looking for a heart that's devoted to him. So let's stop there for just a second and let me strengthen you. And let me also tell you why we do what we do. The reason why we're, we're after you knowing God is because that's going to change your heart. Me preaching a message on how you should feel is not going to change your heart. Me convincing you that you're wrong and making you feel guilty is not going to change your heart. It may, but it's not going to change it in the right direction. You need to have your own encounters with God your own experiences with God in order to really know who he is and be motivated on the inside. So we're preaching to the soul. And that way we can all be of one heart and soul as we go after God together. All right, the second thing they did is they appointed elders or overseers in the cities. Uh, they, these were appointed, by the way, by the ones who were sent by the church at Antioch. All right? Paul and Silas were appointing these elders in these new churches. I was asked this past week uh, by a, a person in Ruston, uh, what are y'all going to, how are y'all going to uh, appoint elders? Or how are the elders going to, what process do y'all have to go through? I said, um, I don't know. <laughs> he said, that's fair. <laughs> this is the first time we've ever done this. And then it's interesting that this week, as I'm diving into this study, it says that the people from the sending church, the people that the church sent are the ones that appointed elders. So I guess that's what we're doing, church, right? Is that we will just appoint, our elders will appoint elders in the church, uh, in the churches where we, where we plant. But they appointed them, and they were prayerfully committing them. These were not random people who just, you know, they, who, who just happened to, uh, they happened to be impressed with their personalities or their, they had a lot of money to offer to the church. We, we spent a whole series talking about eldership before we appointed our elders so we would all know what we're looking for but we're looking for men of God like the men that were described in the beginning of the book of Acts who were selected and served as deacons serving the church remember that that they were men who were of good report and full of the Holy Spirit and it was obvious to the people in the church these are people we can trust they're not after anything for themselves. Man, it's so obvious. They love the Lord. They're surrendered to the Holy Spirit. It's, it's obvious that these people, these men, are after God. And that's who Paul and Barnabas uh, had appointed. So they appointed elders in all those churches. All right, let's pick up in verse 24 and see what happens next. 
So they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken, to the, spoken the word in Perga, they, came, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So their church planting continues. They go to all these different places. And the story in each of these new cities, even though it's not offered to us in detail, here's what we know. We have enough detail in all the churches so far that we know the same kinds of things are being done, right? We know that Paul's preaching. Paul and Barnabas are preaching. Probably mostly Paul is preaching the gospel message and that alone. And that people are responding to the gospel and they're coming, uh, they're, they're believing because the Holy Spirit is moving and working. We know that there are already believers in probably most of these towns who had been at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and they heard the apostles and they're part of the 3,000 that dispersed. They're there, just like in the other churches. We know that there are also going to be people who, probably religious leaders, who are opposing the message, instruments of Satan who are trying to destroy this, the message of, of Christ, uh, probably Jews who are hating what's going on and are losing the attention that they had gained before for themselves. And so that's going on. So they went to all these churches. Wherever they go, they're doing the same thing. And, and I want to just say again that we as a church, right now, this is not a random series of messages. Of course, it never is and never should be, right? These are not just sermons so that we can understand truth in Scripture. This is a timely message, series of messages for us that describes God's purpose for us. And right now, we, God is multiplying us in communities all over the world, literally, right? How sweet is that? That we are planting churches right now in all different kinds of places. And right now, of all times, while we're here talking about multiplication, God is leading us to multiply. So this is not just information for us. This is guidance from the Holy Spirit. This is God telling us how to, do, how to multiply. I'm thankful for it. I hope you are too, that God is leading us in this. So they did the same thing. And God has led us to six distinctives that we are, we are going to and told us clearly to reproduce these distinctives in the churches where we go. That's all we're doing. So we need to know these distinctives, and our elders need to know these distinctives and, the, and have lived these out, walked them out in their lives. And the people in the churches where we go, will also the leaders in those churches will be people who walk these things out, who are obviously committed to what the Lord is doing, what the Holy Spirit is leading them to do, full of the Holy Spirit, and have good reputations. So the church planting continues. But then they came back to the church that sent them out. They came back to Antioch, the church that sent them out, that commended the grace of God for the work that they had to fulfill, is the way the Scripture reports it. Now listen, they didn't come back to Antioch for accountability. You know, they, they, they didn't come back to say, we're still doing what you guys told us to do, and accountability in order to gain more funds to be able to continue their, uh, to gain their support and continue their ministry. Not against that necessarily. But I just got to say, that's not the reason they came. They came for one reason. They came to report all that God had done to lead these churches, these new churches, uh, to, uh, to know God. They came to report this like they did in the first few stories when Peter went out and he came back. Even when Peter went and preached the gospel to the Jews in the synagogue and got 
beaten up for, cast in prison, was released. He goes back and gives testimony to the church so that the church can see the movement of God. So nobody misses it. This is what God's doing is testimony and praise. And multiplied churches need to be filled with testimony and praise. But the home church needs to know. That's why I try to come back every time and use stories of the things that God's doing in the places where we're planting so that you can know what's going on to report all that God's done so that you guys can praise the Lord, man, from an authentic heart. We are obeying God and doing this together, and God's, God is multiplying these churches, and his, his work is being, his, his name is being spread. But also on the heels of these songs of praise from the church, immediately after this, what might have been a celebration of God's work in all these churches where Paul and Silas had been, the enemy raises his head, as he always does. At this time, we see a new tactic against the church, something we haven't seen yet in the book of Acts in this pure church, and it's something we all need to recognize. So I hope you're ready for this this morning. Y'all with me? All right, let me set it up. So one of the things that happens at the gathering place is once you start buying into uh, the, the truth of Scripture as in, in, in seeing church, seeing the community together in the way that God is showing it to us, uh, by, and you start walking in, with God in life, you're going to find, and all of us have found, opposition from people within our old church. So we talked about the first place we go is to our home. Remember that? Their home was the Jewish synagogue. So they keep going to the Jewish synagogues first, and they preach the truth of the gospel in the synagogue so that people can know the truth. But they don't always get received well, right? And so one of the responses uh, to the, of the Jews is that they hate, they hate them. Right? And they oppose them strongly. But here's the other side. Most of us, if not all of us, had a slow transition to just walking with Christ, trusting that grace is true, the imputed righteousness of God, that God sees us as perfect because Christ it lives in us. I love that song this morning. Uh, Christ in me. You know, that is the, that's, that's perfection and righteousness given to us. All right, most churches don't understand that. And when we started seeing that, and we started understanding grace for the first time, then lots of us had some baggage we had that we were still holding on to from our old way of thinking. And we transitioned very slowly. And that's okay, all right? That's, we're going to find out today that, that that's what's happening in this church. Uh, and you're going to have friends of yours that you want to try to bring to Christ or Friends of yours that are religious people, maybe they're, not, maybe they're Christians already, but they're still stuck in the bondage of religion, and you're trying to bring them to this new understanding of Christ in us and knowing him by experience through obedience, and they're just not going to get it. They're not going to buy into it, and, and it's, it can be very frustrating, and it can lead you like it led me to hate the church and to feel like we got it and nobody else does. Now, that's not what happens here in this story, but this week I had a, you know, I shared last week why we're Southern Baptists, why we've stayed connected to Southern Baptist Convention. Even though there's a lot of religion that we disagree with, there's not a, not a lot of doctrine that we disagree with, right? And because God said stay connected, so we're going to stay connected. But I had somebody this past week who was challenging me on that or asking and in the Rustin group, why are a new person who's been visiting and checking us out, had, had, breakfast, uh, had coffee with him, he said, why are you, I said, I really have an issue with the Southern Baptist part. I said, all right, let's talk about it. And he started explaining to me, I said, you know, would you be open to asking God if he 
wants you to be a part of a Southern Baptist church. Are you even open to that? He said, yeah. He said, obviously, I need to do that. I said, well, if he says yes, can you do that? He said, man, I just, I guess, yes, I can. You know, we talked about it. And on the heels of that conversation, I get in this passage today. And it, and it, and it, it addresses that issue. It addresses the fact that you can't just leave the people from your home in your home church. or You can't leave the people in your home the way of thinking, your home religion, in, in stuck where they are, especially believers, that we need to be patient with them and we need to be sensitive to their needs. And so we're going to talk about that today because in chapter 1, of verse, uh, or chapter 15, verse 1, we see that very thing happening. Look at what Satan tries to use to divide the church. Y'all with me? Here we go. Chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. All right, so we're going to talk today about how to handle that. We're talking about multiplied community today, but we're talking about maintaining unity among believers. Because in multiplied community, when you're multiplying the community from place to place, one of the things we're going to face is there are going to be people who are having a hard time transitioning out of their old way of thinking into, an, into just walking with Christ and loving God and pursuing Him and letting religion be the fruit of that experience. But listen, this is a dangerous thing. When these guys are coming down and saying, uh, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Do y'all remember the last time somebody tried to come in and mess up pure community? I talked about this past week in Ruston. It's Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that story? Man, the community was pure. People were operating according to the Holy Spirit. Ananias and Sapphira decided they're going to come in from the outside and try to make their way in by doing the things that the people do, and then they're just going to be popular because they're part of this new movement that's going on, and God killed them both. So... And then all the people that thought they might just join that group decided we might just not join that group, right? And unless they had the Holy Spirit living in them, they were not going to be a part of this group. We're not going to play games anymore, man. This, this is messing with the purity of the church. But God handles it differently. He handles it differently. Let's look at it. The great, we, we talked about it, that, by the way, in the context of the great grace of God. That it's the grace of God that he was protecting the purity of the church by getting rid of these false believers, these people that are coming in to pretend and, and play games and lead the church astray. Well, that seems to be happening here, but now it's believers. So let's see how the great grace of God responds to believers who are Jews, converted believers. Let's see it together. Look at verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles and and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, by the way, but some what? What's that word in verse 5? Believers. Believers. All right? Who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. Thank God. Pharisees got saved, right? 
But most of us, you know, we're so bad. We've been looking at as Pharisees in such a negative light. Let's just take this. Just pause for a moment. All right. Pharisees got saved. All right, that's a good thing, right? And that's the way God sees it. God says Pharisees got saved. Man, there's rejoicing in heaven, right? But they rose up and said it's necessary to circumcise them and and, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. All right. So there's this, there's what goes on. Here's the response. To these people coming down and trying to push some, relig- some old religion, some of that old-time religion, on these believers who have been saved by the grace of God. So don't you want to know what God does with that? We need to know because we have that. All of us have it in our lives. How do we respond when somebody comes into our pure relationship with God, our desire to abide in him and know him and live by grace, and they try to put religious duties on us, another list, another... Whatever it is that you're not doing is what they're going to come to you and say you need to be doing, right? How do we handle that? Well, here's what they did in that church, and here's what we'll do. They sent them to the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem. All right? They sent them to the elders and the apostles. Says, We're multiplying community. If there's some issue, it's not one man by himself making those decisions, right? I don't have the authority being sent out by this church to go to another church and say, uh, and they're and and they're wanting to uh, wanting us to hold on to some practices that are different than this church, and then just say, well, "Okay, let's just do it." Or, "No, we're not doing it," and y'all can just go your way. Man, they they love these people. God's grace is de- demonstrated towards these Pharisees who are having problems. These these saved Pharisees who are having issues. They really they're, they're, they have God living in them. The Spirit is there, and they're trying to make sense of how to. What do I do with all my old practices? Can I just really let them go? Can I just, is it okay for me not to go to Sunday school? Is it all right for me not to have a hymn book? You know, the minor things. Is it okay for me not to go to church on a Sunday? Is it all right for me to, to uh, pick your poison? <laughs> to, to dance? All right. Uh, and then you, you can go on from there. Is it all right for me to do these things? And if the Spirit says you are free indeed and it's not sin, that means you can do it and enjoy it under the, under the uh, leadership of the Holy Spirit and under the blessing of the Word of God and under the truth of the Word of God. If it's something that the Bible says you can do, which, by the way, if you live according to the Bible, it's a great life, a great life. And we've been robbed, most of us. And somebody comes in and tries to rob you of something you're enjoying, rather than reacting, we need to respond. The way the Holy Spirit responds is he responds as being selfless. They get selfless, and they say, we're going to go and get some help on this, okay? We're going to go, and we're going to go to the elders, and we're going to make this decision together. And so it's not one man by himself. It's also not just believers, all different kinds of believers, new believers, Jewish believers, Gentile believers, uh, who haven't earned yet the trust of the church, and their life's fruit haven't, hasn't shown that they really love the Lord and are full of the Spirit. It's not just the a- average Joe. These are people that have been recognized by the church as being men who are good men, right? They've proven themselves, and they're full of the Holy Spirit. And so that's significant. They go to the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem, but then also they, they allowed everyone to speak their convictions, all right? So first of all, we have the testimony. 
of Paul and Barnabas sharing all the beautiful things that God did. They got to speak about that. And then these Pharisees, I'm sure everybody thought they're fixing to pull cold water on the situation. But they had the opportunity to share their questions. And they did. They shared them with a group of godly men, and it was good. All right, but let's see what happens in verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. So here's what, here's what Peter does. Right? The Holy Spirit leads Peter to stand up and make this point. First of all, Peter's the right, Peter says, I'm the right person to give this testimony to the teaching of the Lord uh, and, and the response of, the, of uh, the Gentiles to the Holy Spirit. I'm the right one because God's the one that told me to go do that. So let me give a testimony of what God's doing in the lives of the Gentiles. All right? So Peter's the right person. Secondly, he didn't give his, his opinion. Peter's not giving his opinion. He's not weighing the pros and cons and saying, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I'm really qualified to be able to speak to this. See the gray beard? I'm the guy, all right? It's not about how long he's been doing whatever he's been doing. It's because he had an experience with the Holy Spirit, and he knows God and God's heart for the Gentiles because he experienced it firsthand. Y'all with me? Okay, listen, church, don't miss that point. What gives you... The authority to speak a testimony or a word on behalf of something is not that you have an idea or philosophy or you have, you've really thought long about it and you've got an opinion. It's not our opinions. What has the Holy Spirit taught you in life as you've walked out the Holy Spirit's plan for you? Peter is the, the one that can speak to this. He is the one, all right? And so he speaks and the Holy Spirit leads him to. So it's not, he, he's not giving his opinion. God chose Peter to go to the Gentiles. And he says, God made a choice among you and me, and he chose me to go do this. And Peter went reluctantly. Y'all remember the story of him and Cornelius and how he had to, have a dream, had to have his vision, and Cornelius had to have a dream, and everything just had to be just so, and it had to be a miraculous thing. But Peter's the one that was chosen. And then Peter says, God gave the Gentiles salvation. And in case any of you are doubting it, he gave, them the same, he gave us the same evidence through their lives. They received the Holy Spirit and they spoke in, un, in tongues. So it's the same thing that happened to us. That what they had was the same thing that happened to us, the same kind of evidence that he gave to us. So Peter stands and gives testimony of what the Holy Spirit did. So let's start there is what he's saying. Let's start here. There is a testimony that needs to be shared that will give us wisdom as elders making this decision. We can't argue with the fact that the Holy Spirit is doing it. You know, I'm thinking about like in our church, what if? What if somebody said, hey, I think we should give uh, $1,000 a month to somebody, to some ministry or whatever, all right? And it may be a ministry that we're not used to giving to or don't care to give to uh, or, or, or people don't believe that, that God can, can, can provide for us in that way. So I come to the elders and and Will steps forward and says, you know, God's been speaking to me in that way. He led me to, to, to uh, give my money to that same process, uh, that same thing, and we couldn't afford it, and God provided. 
I think we should do it. That's a testimony of obedience, right? Why do we give, why are we giving $600 a month to Dario? Why do we agree to do that? Because I can't tell you how many times God's told us to give something we didn't have, and then he provided. And guess what he did? He provided. We didn't go one week without that extra $600. It was provided, and the, the commitment is ongoing for every month. Now, that's God taking care of things, okay? Those testimonies of how the Spirit moves. And then uh, he makes a statement to reveal again that everything, everyone is on equal ground in regard to the value of works and their failure to give us any better standing with God. He wants them to know that works do nothing for us. Just because we are Jews and because we have this heritage and we have, we have been circumcised and all these, uh, kept these feasts and festivals doesn't give us any better standing with God. We're all on equal ground. But listen for the big grace statement from Peter in verse 10. Listen. He says, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the, of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through grace, through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Quit judging them based on that, their actions. He makes a clear statement, we're all about the grace of God. So whatever decision we make here, guys, let's just make sure that it's grace-based, right? That it's based on the grace of God. We're all together. None of us wants to go back to legalism. So why are you betraying the grace of God and trying to add works to verify these believe these new believers? Right? And I get that all the time. When people start walking in grace, I get people who are still walking in legalism coming to me and saying, man, did you see what they did? And they say they're Christians. <laughs> I just saw what you did. And you say you're a Christian. Because <laughs> the Bible says don't judge, Right? <laughs> You know, but I get that all the time, right? It, it, it makes us feel uncomfortable. We need to remember we're all on, we all are walking in grace. And listen, don't think we don't have it in our church. We understand grace, but some of you know that you struggle with judging people, judging whether people are walking with God the way that you walk with God. or they, How can they say they're Christians and they're doing whatever? And we line that stuff out. We, do, we're, we need this same message, all right? And we need the grace of God to be given to us. I need to give grace to those who are judging religious people, and I need to quit judging them myself. All right, so Paul and Barnabas share stories of the Holy Spirit's work among the Gentiles as testimony uh, that they had done enough. They shared the things that had happened, and they said, this is enough. It's evidence enough. They really are believers, okay? They don't have to do anything else, apparently, in order to have God. That's the point he's trying to make. All right, verse 12, look what he says. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done among them or through them among the Gentiles. So God was working and moving in the same way among the Gentiles as he was among the Jews. And then James steps up, and he supports Peter's word, and he shows love to the Jewish believers by yielding a, to, a, to a portion of their desires that was consistent with the gospel. All right, and I'm going to come back and talk about that in a second, but hear that again. James is supporting Peter's stance, or his word, but he's going to show some love to Jewish believers. All right, and this is the Holy Spirit through him. 
And he's going to yield a portion of their desires that's consistent, as long as it's consistent with the gospel message. All right, so here's what happens in verse 13 through 21. Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. All right, we got, got this is a pretty good little long read right here. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon or Simon or Peter, okay? By the way, the fact that he uses Simeon is also being sensitive to the Jewish believers that are there, right? Because uh, th- that's his Jewish name, right? Simeon. Uh, so he's using uh, their, their language, the Jerusalem Jewish language, and he's speaking using that name. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the, the words of the prophets agree. So he's gone back to the scripture. We see that a lot. But he wants, he's showing some love, showing some love. Here's what's biblical about what we believe. Okay, after this, I will return, and I will build the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and that all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from, from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them, here's some love, here's some love, right, to the Jewish believers who would like to see some action. But let's write to them, he says, to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Four things. Okay, let's, let's, let's put these things in. They're good things. These are, these are positive things. We're going to throw these in. All right, and he says, for from ancient generations, here's the reason why, from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. All right, so they refused to compromise by adding to the gospel or taking away from it, which we will also do, but they were willing to continue some of the practices that would lead to unity among the Jewish and Gentile Christians. And they were doing what Paul encouraged the church to do uh, later on in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul says, uh, look at it in verse 19, for I, though I am free from all, Paul recognizes and admits, I am totally free by the grace of God. I'm free from all. I have made myself, though, a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. So Paul says, I got four things I'll do. I'm going to do these things. You know why I do them? Not because I have to. I'm doing them for a different reason. Now I'm doing them because it still enhances my relationship with God. It enhances, and it shows me God's favor because I get to see God move in the hearts of Jews whenever I do these little things. So I can do these things. These are not hard things to do in order to be able to give a gospel message to Jews and be able to grow those Jews who are having a little struggle getting out of the old and into the new. So I'm going to, get, I'm going to meet them halfway. Right? It's not a compromise of the gospel. It's for the sake of the, of the uh, spread of the gospel. So he says, to those under the law, I become as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. He's saying the same thing. <laughs> Don't misinterpret, guys. That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So Paul gives us a great illustration there. And the church elders came to this conclusion. And, and Paul lives this out in his life in the church of Corinth and, and all the other churches as he goes, he does the same thing. 
He's going to compromise where he can in order to win more people to the truth of the gospel. All right, let's pause. Big point for the day. If we're going to multiply community, if we're going to multiply, you know, if the Lord's going to multiply this community, the gathering place west, within this community, and then outside this community, other churches that would be formed out of this community, if that's going to happen, we need to recognize in the south, as long as we're in Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, anywhere in the south, we're going to have folks of our denomination who are holding on to and having a hard time letting go of their religious past. And then not just in our denomination. There'll be people who are having a hard time letting go of doing things the traditional ways. So one of the things we're doing in Ruston right now is we're talking about doing a Sunday afternoon service. Why? Because there are people that would like to check us out, but they're not feeling comfortable letting go of their church yet and their way of doing things. It feels a little weird to them to go meet in the home and be able to call that church, right? Doesn't feel weird to us, but it feels weird to them. So we need to help, right? Why do we have a corporate service here? We do, really, we do this for one reason. We ask the Lord, do we need to do this? Our life groups are plenty for your spiritual growth. We do this because it gives us an opportunity to continue a portion of our tradition and to transform that into something that's meaningful to our relationship with God and to bring other people in. People feel comfortable coming sitting in a church in the South, right? They like to come sit in a building with us and have some things going on together, which are all good, but it can be done different ways. The point is that we're reaching out. We're, trying, we're doing this because God told us to do it, and I believe the reason he told us to do it is because this is a place where we, can, we don't have to just express our freedom. We can also become a Jew to the Jews in order to win some. So the Lord gives them an action to take. The elders come together, these spiritual men who've been selected by the church, who's seen by the church as full of the Holy Spirit, who, who have great reputations as being godly men, and consistently over time they've been seen to been proven to be men of God. And they come together and they pray and they seek the Lord and they give their opinions and then they just come and then they come together and, and, and they talk about the testimony or the reality of what's going on and they make some compromise in order to continue to reach the Jewish people. So in verse 22, we see a letter. Here's the results, okay? Here's the results. Verse 22 says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church uh, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. Now, pause. Here's why they didn't just send Barnabas and Silas back. Barnabas and Silas could have said they went to, I mean, Barnabas and uh, Paul, they could have said, yeah, we went, to, we went to Antioch, and here's what they said. Instead, you know, and really they've gone on vacation, right? They went to Florida to Orange Beach and hung out, and they came back and, said, and, and wrote this letter and came back with their own ideas. So they sent two more elders from the church to make sure there was no doubt. I appreciate that. All right, so here's the letter. The brothers, both apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are the, of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria, 
and Cilicia greetings. Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord. Now, what does that mean? Like-minded, souls together, seeking the Lord, coming to the same answer, one accord. All right, so we have, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what's been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Very well. All right? Man, are they going to be happy with that? Are they going to be pleased with that? Here's what I know. If the church that we are, if, if God is bringing people in to be like-minded with us, and there's some kind of struggle that they're going over, and, and, it, and things matter, and we make a compromise we, by coming together and asking the Lord as elders, what do we need to do? And we pursue it, and God gives us direction, and we bring it back, and they don't like it, then we're done. But that's not how the Spirit moves. <laughs> you know, if the Spirit wouldn't have started something if he wasn't going to finish it. Now, we start stuff all the time. First church, you know, it's like on the island. The guy, you know, the guy's marooned on an island. He finally gets rescued 10 years later, and they come and they see his, he shows them his house, and then shows them another building. What's that? That's the church. He said, what's that one over there? He says, that's the, that's the other church. I got, got mad in that church, had to start another one. By himself, marooned on an island, Baptist can, can not have enough church, right? Enough churches. We're not talking about starting another church because people get mad. We're saying when God opens the door, God guides the whole process, God puts it together, then God's going to maintain that. And whatever it is that God tells us to do is going to be good enough, right? So the results are going to be great. Look at what happens. Look at the results in verse 30 through 35, and we'll be done. Look at it. So they were sent off. They went to, down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they spent some time, they were off, sent off in peace by the brothers who, uh, to those they had, who had sent them. And Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of God with many others also. Peace in the church. Not because they had a discussion and decided what the pros and cons would be, and everybody compromised and came to something. It's the whole, because they went to the, back to the Holy Spirit, and they gathered around Holy Spirit-filled men, and they asked the Lord together, what do we need to do? And they came to one conclusion, unanimous conclusion, and they went and told the church, and the church rejoiced, and the people were back together, ready to hear more of the gospel message, ready to hear more teaching and preaching, ready to grow in their faith in the Lord. We are committed to that as a church. We're committed to that in, the, in this body, and we're committed to that as we multiply this church. That We will meet people where they are, but, we, we, but through the Lord's help and with the Lord's guidance and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are taking them somewhere also. And so I've been challenged this week to, to, to give a stronger reach out to my religious brothers 
people are stuck and missing the joy of their salvation because they're still trying to live life by a list of rules and regulations. They've got a huge list of don'ts and a little list of do's, and they're, they're worn out and they're, they're, they're feeling guilty and sh- ashamed because they can't make it, they can't keep the list, and, they, and they're motivated by hard preaching and, st- and toe stomping that gets them to the, to the, uh, down the aisle and to the altar to pray a prayer uh, that is more like a resolution that they won't keep for but just a couple of weeks, and they'll rededicate themselves to something instead of to someone. I'm just, I just want to help my brothers come out of that. I came out of that. And there's lots of people that you are connected to that need that word. And I love that that's what we have to offer in the places where we go. In Honduras, a, a country that's, that's filled with dead religion, that we have churches and pastors that, that are waiting to receive this word. We're going to go down there. And there's some differences in the things that they're doing. And there's some changes that, there's some ways that they will express this kind of faith in God that we, that will not, we would never want to do. It's not comfortable with us, for us. But we're going to meet them where they are. And we're going to walk with God together. And we're going to do it as the Holy Spirit leads us. All right? So I don't know how that speaks to you today. I hope that it at least speaks to your desire to see friends of yours who need a fresh touch from the Lord. Get that touch. And that, that God would, and to pray that God would use you to bless them in such a way that they, that they would be drawn into a deeper walk with him. Don't have to be drawn out of their church. You just need to be drawn to Jesus and let Jesus do the drawing out of church as if that happens, right? All right, let's pray. Father, again, we just, uh, we receive the call. Yeah, wholeheartedly, we are dedicated to this call to multiply community, biblical community, wherever you would place us. And Lord, in the places that you've given us, uh, Lord, we just pray for a touch from your Holy Spirit right now. And all those places, all those churches, all those homes, God, that you would just reinforce the truths that you have given us to walk by. That there would be people all over the, the world, literally, that would, that would walk, that would abide in you and, and know that that's enough. And that you would produce beautiful fruit by blessing the people around them and giving them community uh, that they can do life with. Father, we trust you for that. And God, I just pray that you'll help us, how to make, help us know how to make sense of this message today in our own lives with the people that you've put in our heart, in our lives already. People that are struggling, maybe with some of the beliefs that we have or the ways that we do life. And I just pray, Father, that you'll give us wisdom on how we can meet them where they are and bring them into the freshness of the relationship that we have. Father, that, that, uh, that you would provide life for them through us, uh, and a, a joy, Lord, and a peace that passes understanding, just a depth of contentment that only comes through abiding in you alone. Father, use us to do that and bring that into the lives and teach us how to do that. I pray you protect our members from being offended and instead, Father, that we would forget about ourselves and invest in those people that you've given us relationships with. And we just praise you for choosing us to walk this journey together and for adding to our number those that would walk with us. In Jesus' name.